Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hardcore Football, the uh, podcast on the world's game brought to you by two passionate Americans. I'm Phil Baki, and uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Mika Brell. Mika, what's going on? Not much. Um, I'm working from home all week, so it's good that we're getting all the podcasting in this week. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's much easier for me when I don't have to make my one hour commute. So yeah, not much, not much. Waiting for football to come back. I hate the interlow. I, I could not, you couldn't pay me to care about the Nations League, honestly. So I, I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna start I was gonna start with the conversation of like the international break and your your feelings on it because it, I mean, but I think we got most of them in that <laughs> response. I just yeah, it I don't know. There's just something about I think international football can deliver us some amazing moments. Um in the world Fair. cup and the euros, like the major tournaments obviously are, are fantastic, uh, to watch, but yeah, just these inner, these interim, like, uh, like friendly periods. And then now, you know, U- UEFA doing the nation's league. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. I, yeah. I just can't, I can't, as you said, like, I can't bring myself to care. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And especially, in the circumstances of like COVID-19 and it just feels like extra pointless. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Arsene Wenger actually came out with a quote like today or recently about nation's league, basically saying we should scrap it because if you ask somebody on the street, like how it works, they couldn't tell you. And I'm the same exact way. And nobody at me and try to explain it to me. Cause I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have never like tried to understand what it, I mean, I know there's groups and like relegation and promotion and shit, but I just, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have news to get excited about this week. Um, and that was uh, a little bit of a rebrand. Um, we know that that soccer Twitter, Loves a good logo, loves a good a good rebrand, a refresh, uh, and obviously we're just getting started. So we reached out to uh, a friend of ours on on football Twitter, Mike Pendleton, aka at Fat Do Seven, and uh, I don't know he 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 brought a banger. Absolutely, yeah. Um, hopefully, for those of you who are listening to this, you see the new logo on your podcast platform of choice, but. Uh, yeah, Mike came up with an amazing, amazing look for us. And, um, you know, we obviously the content is what people are here for. But I think, you know, we want to look that reflects the quality of that. So um, obviously, shout out to Mike. Thank you so much. It, I, I love it. I'm and I'm partial to green. So I love our, <laughs> our main logo. But I think the idea in the future is for us to have like different colors. And hopefully, you know, if we become you know, as we grow, maybe we'll think about merch and stickers and things like that. If, if y'all want it, of course, let us know. But, um, yeah, the new logo is fire. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bomb. And it was, it was cool because his sister, uh, is actually a tattoo artist in Phoenix. And, uh, she was the one who kind of started floating ideas to him because she's very much like into the hardcore scene and, and all of that. So, um, she, she really enjoyed the project because, uh, it was like a cool intersection of cultures for her. Um, and we feel the same way. So it was cool to kind of, you know, inadvertently find the like-minded people, um, and I think there's some interesting, uh, merch ideas already floated out for, uh, the future. If that, if that becomes a thing, 
Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's absolutely awesome. Um, and it just, like Mika said, it just really reflects what we're going for in terms of the aesthetic, but also the, uh, the quality of it is just, is just so high that it, you know, gives a little bit more credence, I think to, uh, maybe someone passing might be like, Hey, this is kind of well put together. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instead yeah, of I mean, random clip art, uh, like your boy <laughs> put together. <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. Phil. <laughs> um, so Mika, I mean, we have a lot to talk about this. What this, the idea for the show started out as a, a transfer special kind of t- taking the advantage of the, uh, international break and doing something a little less focused, obviously on games. Cause there, there are no club games going on at the moment. Well, in the, t- in the big five leagues, anyways, there's plenty of, uh, of actually women's football and, uh, and then lower division football happening. Um, sure. but we were going to take the opportunity to do a little bit of a transfer special, but then the athletic uh, kind of dropped a bomb on us this morning uh, <laughs> with what is being called Project Big Picture. And the title of the article that the athletic dropped said explained United Liverpool and Perry spark nuclear war in English football. Mika there's a lot going on in this and we can dive into the details a little bit, but this was quite the, uh, the bombshell to wake up to. Yeah. Um, I mean, where do I even start with it? There, there's so <laughs> much here to unpack. And, um, I, my first exposure to the story was via the athletic too, but I think actually the first, like the exclusive was by Sam Wallace, one of the uh, chief football writer for the telegraph. Um, so shout out to him, but of course the athletic, uh, broke it down, I think very well, uh, in terms of what this is, but, um, you know, for those who haven't read the piece or don't have access to the athletic or the telegraph, I mean, basically it's just outlining this proposal that, um, Manchester United and Liverpool, uh, in conjunction with Rick Perry, the chairman of the English football league have put together for, um, basically, overhauling um, English football really um, and giving uh, some relief payments basically to the lower leagues. And, you know, because they've been, you know, they're like any other business, they've been really hard done by, by the coronavirus pandemic. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things in here about giving, you know, 250 million pound bailouts and things like that to cover lost match day income and, and, you know, operational losses and all that kind of thing. But there's also a lot of um, concessions, I guess you could say that, (laughs) that these lower league clubs and even premier league clubs would be making to the quote, you know, mega clubs, big clubs, um, you know, the current top six, I guess you could say. So yeah, uh, (laughs) that's kind of the, (laughs) the, the big picture, if you will. Um, so, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get into each kind of propose some of the big proposals and give our thoughts on that. So, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, you covered the gist pretty well and it. I think whenever there, there have been big conversations like this around football forever in terms of overhauling the system, you know, talk of like a European super league, all of these ideas get floated around and oftentimes they're nothing more than kind of either speculation or the, the attempt of one club to try to start a conversation a certain way when United and Liverpool 
uh, are linked in terms of their owners kind of pushing this and in conjunction with the chairman of the football league, which, uh, for those who don't know kind of the ins and outs of the way that English football is set up the way that it is, is the football league and the premier league are, are two separate entities that just share a agreement for teams from the EFL championship to be promoted into the premier league and, you know, relegated back down. Like that's, the only connection and the premier league has been its own entity like since 1992 separate from the football league. Um, so this kind of collaboration is a little bit weird and I guess kind of underpins like why there's, you're like, there has to be a catch. Like when there's, when there's these kind of obvious, Oh, that would be good you know there's something going on if Liverpool and United and the Football League are working together on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two of the biggest rivals in English sport <laughs> working <laughs> together. And I think um, Bruce Buck, I think his name is, one of the, one of the chairman of Chelsea working on this one as well. Yeah. Um, you know, just the, the big hitters um, of English football working on this proposal. And And to be clear, you know, it is just a proposal. This is not binding in any way yet anyway so um you know for anyone freaking out about what we're about to talk about just it is a proposal a shocking one at that but a proposal um so yeah it's yeah it's bizarre when you hear that these two entities who have i would argue a lot of overlapping interests but a lot of starkly differing interests too um are, are working together on something it it's bound to have as you said a huge catch yeah So to dive into what this is, I think the way that it's been sold highlights some of the kind of surface positives, for lack of a better term, um, in that there are some things up front where you're like, yeah, absolutely. This is amazing. Um, So the the big things are this 250 million pound bailout to cover lost match day income for EFL clubs. So that's the championship all the way down through league two. And that's a lot of money for clubs of those, of those levels. Also 10 million pound grants to women's super league and championship teams, which is both divisions of women's football in, in England right now, a 35 million pound grant to the FA for the national league and grassroots game, which is obviously, I mean, 35 million pounds, even spread across the whole country is quite the injection of cash into like semi pro and amateur level teams. Um, and 55 million pounds to govern or to cover the governing bodies, operational losses. So just to like help the FA out, um, all of those things, without the rest of this proposal are mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Like this is, I guess, support for the rest of the English pyramid that the premier league has never really provided. Yeah. Yeah. On the surface, these are good things. Um, you know, the smaller the club, the more reliant on gate receipts they are. And when you don't have fans at the ground, it's devastating for these these clubs in the championship and down. And even in the Premier League, um, some of the smaller clubs, because, you know, they don't have that same commercial revenue to offset it or, or the same amount of player turnover necessarily. Um, you know, clubs that 
that, you know, are solvent on the basis of selling stars year after year, you know, that's not something that you see in the, the lower leagues necessarily. So, yeah, I mean, these things would obviously help out, help out tremendously. Um, the payments to the FA, I, <laughs> they sound good that, you know, if you can track that those actually would be used for, you know, grassroots football and things like that that's great but like it starts to get a little weird for me when it's like you're covering their operational losses because that to me just sounds like I don't want not a bribe but like Uh, what what really is that you know because every business has operational loss like that's your that's your responsibility (laughs) right (laughs) and you know this theme will come up you know for me at least as as we go but it just it's a little weird. And then I've, I, you know, full disclosure, I didn't get to read the telegraph article because it is kind of behind a paywall and I already give my money to the athletics. So, (laughs) um, but from what I gathered, I had heard or read something that the, the payment to the clubs that 250 million pounds is, is actually a loan. So it's not even, you know, it's not just like a, hand out like a gift as 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 far as i could tell i'll have to look more into that but i mean again so you know already there's some snags here but um yeah i mean you you can clearly see the need for it um these clubs some of these clubs are not going to exist if uh, something isn't done and the government as far as i can tell the uh uk government hasn't really you know done anything you know, comparable as far as like bailouts and things like that. So, right. Yeah. I think I I mentioned in the article is the premier league, like Perry and a couple of the executives said, uh, that the government asked the premier league to like step up, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, like if, (laughs) if the American government asked the NFL, like, Hey, you guys need to step up and like start paying for high school football programs. Um, right. That'd be kind of wild. Um, so the fact that that has actually occurred where it's like, Hey, you guys need to bail out, um, like the sport across the country. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, other, other parts of this that are, that are positive would be, they would Premier League clubs now receive 92% of distributable revenues. Um, and this would go to 75% and 25% of it would go to the, the rest of the EFL, which is a lot more, they're obviously getting 8% at the moment. So (laughs) that's a pretty significant boost. Um, and then even for supporters, they talked about capping away ticket prices at 20 pounds and uh, away travel would be subsidized and there would be further exploration of safe standing. So they're trying to mm-hmm. make, I think, like a more fan friendly environment while kind of spreading the the wealth a little bit. Um, but then the catches start to kind of fall into place. And the first two things that would be eliminated, uh, the community shield and the care about cup dead. Um, what do you think about, about these kind of like peripheral competitions and the conversation of big clubs just wanting to do away with them? Well, okay. So the community shield, I can, 
in my mind, I can dispense with that one pretty quickly because uh, by and large, it is contested by the big clubs anyway. Right. Um, you know, usually unless someone has a really great FA cup year, but you know, fine, we can go away with, we can do away with that one. Yeah. <laughs> but the Carabao cup, that one, I, uh, that gives me more pause because again, like I, like I just said, these smaller clubs rely a lot on gate receipts. And when a smaller club hosts a premier league side, that can be a significant draw. Um, that can be a significant revenue maker for them, profit maker for them. Right. Um, and you know, so that's number one. Number two, the league cup is, I mean, it's part of the footballing fabric of England. I would argue, uh, you know, the, you know, we, I support Arsenal, you support Liverpool. We're not thinking about the Carabao Cup, obviously. I mean, that's <laughs> totally not, we, we trot the kids out for those. But, you know, the Swansea's, the Birmingham City's, like clubs that have won this tournament before, mm-hmm. those live long in the memory of the fans of those clubs. I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, those are big deals, um, you know, for those fans. So it is competitive for them and you know, it's competitive for them and a moneymaker for them. So Carabao cup being killed that I, I don't, I don't like that. And there's people who say, well, okay, well then let's just leave premier league clubs out of it. Again, the, the draw is if you get to host a premier league club, it's a big deal. So right. yeah, I'm not, not feeling that one. How do you feel about that? I'm, I, I'm kind of torn. Um, but I, because I think it on the one hand, it is a competition that is, I, I guess there's only a handful of countries that have two domestic cups. I think France is the only other one that I can think of mm. um, because they have a league cup and a, and an FA cup essentially like the you know, right. Coupe de France. So like most other countries just have like the one cup competition in addition to the league. So um, I kind of get the conversation around, Hey, maybe like we don't need both like the FA cups enough. Um, but I don't know that relief for big teams. Like even as a Liverpool fan, I enjoy league cup games where I can see like the kids play, like the guys who have been on the fringes of the squad and like get a chance to assess some of the talent that you don't normally get to watch. Um, yeah. And that's opportunities for those players to try to break through, like into the first team and stuff. Um, so I don't think, oh, it's a burden on the big teams because they play so many fixtures is really that valid because they have huge squads. Like most of these teams have more than enough players to be able to contend with the amount of fixtures. And if you're already playing a B side in the League Cup, like, what does it matter that your A team is playing on multiple fronts or whatever? Like it doesn't really affect them because they're not playing in the league cup. Um, right. So I, I don't know. I, I get the concern of maybe injuries and stuff like that for the big teams, but at the end of the day, like they're mostly playing guys on the fringes. So it doesn't really, I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't impact them because I guess it could hurt your depth, but I don't know. I just think the burden is not that much. Plus, like you can just take the clopper out and lose in these cup competitions anyways. And then it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, the interesting thing, too, about this proposal, a big one, a gigantic change is proposed cutting the Premier League 
down to 18 teams from 20, um, which reportedly would start with one season of four teams being relegated and only two teams being promoted from the championship. Um, going from 20 to 18 obviously reduces the number of fixtures by four down to 34. Um, is that kind of a strange move given that like the rest of this proposal is very much money talks, but now you have less fixtures to sell on TV. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But I I think the, (laughs) I think the intent is more insidious. I think the, the less fixtures you have, the more you can perhaps push for European football on the weekends. Um, which mm. I think is what a lot of these big clubs want. I mean, you know, this has been floated by um, Andre Agnelli, who uh, the Juventus chairman, I think. And uh, um, I think some of the big clubs in England are probably on board with that too. So I think it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, boiling frogs. Like we won't just outright come out and say we want Europe on the weekends and less Premier League fixtures that we can push towards a week, but it's like by cutting the teams, maybe we can get people like used to that, you know, and kind of turn the heat up. And right. before you know it, football's totally different. And then we're <laughs> heading to a freaking European Super League, you know, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like a an odd decision on its face, but I can kind of see that train of thought of less fixtures. Well, let's let's move the calendar around. I mean, let's, you know, right. there's less Premier League. Let's put Europe on the weekend. And so, yeah. Um, I guess on its face, there's nothing, I guess, like inherently wrong with it. But then you think of what the knock on effects are to down the, down the pyramid. I think this would mean that two league, two clubs are out of the EFL. Um, I think like it goes all the way down, doesn't it? So that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they would, because in theory, then the championship, if four teams were relegated from the premier league, and only two teams were promoted, that would put 26 teams in the championship at that time. So they would Mm -hmm. have to relegate. uh, They normally relegate four from the championship, Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. So Mm -hmm. um, they would have to relegate six (laughs) to get down to 24. And then, yeah, like just to stay at their normal level, they'd have to relegate more, more teams. Um, Right. So, yeah, unless they expand, which I mean, the championship season is already 46 matches and just right. absolutely grueling. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no way like they could uh, there's no way they could expand at all. Um, that would be just murder to play 52 games a season. Um, so, oh my God, yeah. So, yeah, the there's a chance that what the. 18th place team in a 24 team league would get relegated. <laughs> And that just seems, that just seems wrong, you know? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. I think La Liga is 20 teams. Yeah. I think Serie A is 20 teams. I think... I Ligue think Germany is, is the only... Germany's 18. Like, major top flight that has 18. Um, yeah. And that and the and the the two Bundesliga all, is also um, 18. And then... Yeah. 20 in the in the Dritten Liga um so yeah it's the huh. only one that that does it that way though um i think the rest of the top flights in the big 5 are all 20 teams yeah yeah so yeah i mean that's kind of my thought on it is i think they're trying to normalize changing the calendar slowly but surely so i i don't 
this is not the one that I, I would like. I'm not, I'm going to die on this hill. Like I've, I have ones that I have much bigger issues with, but that's just a, a weird one for me. Well, and I think when you look at these changes through that lens of this slow, but sure changing of the domestic game to essentially subjugate it to Europe. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the moment, especially being a Liverpool fan, like Europe was something that was more attainable. Um, like, cause European trophies are kind of part of the club's history and everything, but, and that's always been such an important part, but the premier league was something that was elusive and, and sought after. And I mean, even the players were talking about how that was kind of the Holy grail, the premier league, the idea that it would be, secondary and not kind of like on par at least with a champions league trophy or, or near a champions league trophy in terms of prestige is, uh, terrifying quite honestly. Like the fact (laughs) that you wouldn't chase a domestic trophy or care about domestic football, like as much as you would care about Europe is, would be horrible for the game. Like just, just really terrible. And I think when you look at it through that lens, the next big like shocking kind of part of this is made even more insidious than it is on his face to, to borrow your turn of phrase. Uh, Basically the voting rights of the premier league right now, as it stands is one vote per club and you need 14 out of 20 to approve any sort of measure or motion in the league the change in the voting rights would essentially give veto power to the current top six or the top six teams. And then the next three teams that have been in the premier league, the longest, not the top nine finishers, but the top six finishers and the next three teams who have been in the league, the longest, the idea that these teams would have more voting power than the rest of the league suggests that that they would be able to make a change like the calendar far more easily than they would in the past. Right. And to be clear, those three, so it's top, the top six. So, you know, city United Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Chelsea. And then those three that have been, you know, long-term stakeholders as they call it would be West Ham, Everton and Southampton, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, fine. So we've got nine, right, that could theoretically have this veto power. But then you read it, and it says it would only be a two-thirds vote. So mathematically, that's six, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I mean, yeah, this this is by far the most shocking part of this proposal for me, and it would benefit my club. But I don't like this at all because yeah. they can change things like the calendar, rule changes, um, you know, I think even distribution of revenues and things like, I mean, just a crazy, uh, like sourcing of power. Like it just, it would just go straight to the top. Uh, I mean, I don't think about how that would be in real life. You know, if people who are richer had more votes (laughs) in a democratic (laughs) society than, than poor people. And I mean, you know, arguably they do because of super PACs and corporations, but you know, just on its face, it should be one person, one vote. And in the Premier League, it should be one club, one vote. You know, I, their, their rationale is we're the money makers. You know, we bring in by far the biggest revenue. We should be able to have the most say. And I 
get that. I kind of get that. But at the same time, people watch the Premier League not because not just because they want to see the big teams play each other. I mean, it makes it's exciting when you see Leicester nearly get relegated and then win the league next season. Sure. You know, these, these <laughs> or Aston small- Villa kicked the shit out of Liverpool. Like <laughs> right. Like that no one would predict that, but that happened. I still right. can't really believe it, but it happened. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I think that um yeah, this 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 voting scheme would just completely change the game for the worse and um I really hope that this doesn't I hope that these three clubs that would be included in the like top 9C like they're just pawns, you know? Like this doesn't benefit them really. I cannot right. see a situation where the top six, the traditional top six, don't, you know, just have a really solidified voting block at all times. Right. Um, and, and yeah, it's just terrible. I, this is awful. <laughs> it's, it's really, to me, really disgusting uh, power play, um, especially when you're playing on, you're leveraging the financial plight of lower leagues for something like this. It's just terrible. Yeah. And that's, they really are trying to seize this moment of financial vulnerability of the lower leagues to seize power. And it's, it's really like, it's almost too real in the sense that this is a type of shit that happens like politically in countries going through like coups and revolutions, like where they're co-opted by power hungry or like money hungry people who are willing to extort the passion of the general public, uh, for their own personal gain. Um, and that's what's happening. Like in this moment, they are literally taking advantage of the financial situation of lower league teams to turn it into like long-term, political for lack of a better term like dominance of the sport in england and like in europe really like affecting uh the size of these clubs like they are a lot larger than just you know this isn't just going to change the landscape of soccer in freaking lancashire like it's right across europe this is like sending shockwaves and the other thing that is shocking to me about this is the fact that We've also seen that La Liga is like the the best example of a league that basically went all in on favoring its massive clubs over the rest of the league, like at the expense of the rest of the clubs in the country. And they are struggling at the moment. Like La Liga as a property has lost like loads of value um, because there's basically three fixtures that people want to watch or like whatever the permutations, but there's only three teams that people want to watch outside of Spain. Like unless you're a diehard fan of a team from that region, there's very few people who are going out of their way to watch the rest of the league. Everybody else is just watching Barca Madrid and Atleti like, which is even kind of a distant third in terms of importance um to la liga and that's essentially what the premier league would be doing they would be saying like these are the six teams that matter 
Um, and everybody else is just going to have to like fight over the scraps. And that's just so (laughs) crazy to me that they would, that they would take that tack because so much of what's built the premier league into what it is, is that like broad competition of, Hey, any given day, any team can win. Um, there are no easy fixtures. There are no like small teams in the premier league, basically, and they would essentially be announcing to everyone that that's not true. And there are only these six teams that actually matter in a material way to the Premier League. Exactly. Yeah, it really is just. I mean, there, there's a uh, there's a quote in this athletic article that I thought summed it up brilliantly. And it, obviously the uh, the source is anonymous, but it was a. Uh, a chairman from a lower lower division club and he said quote effectively it will crystallize the power of the big six in perpetuity and also lead to the formation of a premier league two with an increased gap between that and league one the detail is still mis- missing but the timing is classic exploitation of the short-term crisis with a few dog bones to smooth the transition <laughs> it's so i mean that's exactly it nailed it and it's and i'm glad that there are teams at this lower level who, who realize that, Hey, you know, we'll we'll give you this money, but you're going to sell your soul. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I mean, do I have a better answer of how do we, how do we make sure that these clubs stay solvent and not all go under because of the coronavirus pandemic? No. I mean, I, (laughs) there are smarter people than me, obviously that are working on this (laughs) issue. And, um, but this ain't it, right? I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> this can't be it. Um, I mean, maybe, and I, you know, I don't mean to downplay like the seriousness of the pandemic. It still is, but I mean, sure. Has anyone ever thought of like the the idea of like introducing fans back into the stands? Because I mean, this, you know, some leagues have been doing it with relative success, right? You know, and and um, so why is that not like? that's been put off as far as I can tell in, in the United Kingdom. So right. why is that not, um, you know, a reasonable alternative? <laughs> um, and it seems you know? a lot of, it seems a lot of teams in the football league and below are lobbying for that to happen because it's like, Hey, how else am I going to make money? My game's not on TV. I can't, I can't make a bunch of money playing in front of empty stadiums. Um, and yeah, yeah I think, most of these clubs are already operating at a loss. So it's, you know, it's just why, why is the, why are real solutions, I guess, not being, not being pursued? Um, Because ultimately the decision is, do you want the game to continue at these levels or not? And up until this point, everybody has basically said, meh, like, yeah, you know, in terms of any type of government response or anything like that, when it's an institution in England, like lower league, the lower leagues and the football league, like that was what sport in England was like built on essentially. Like, absolutely. Um, it's why it's such a massive game today uh, for for all intents and purposes. So, yeah, this is this is extremely um troubling stuff because it does just start moving that moving that conversation towards this 
crystallized power structure as that lower league owner put it uh, so aptly. Um, and we really are looking at massive changes to the game um, with these kind of carrots dangled in front of the faces of struggling, uh, struggling teams and struggling uh, clubs, struggling players and struggling fans. And it's, uh, it's just disappointing from a lot of perspectives and primarily as a Liverpool fan, it's disappointing that our owner seems to be one of the main players in this proposal. And that's, uh, you know, not to twist the knife on you there, Phil, but that's, that's especially, I think that'd be really hard. And I would, if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd want to distance myself from this as much as possible, because that is totally in diametric opposition to what Liverpool what is as a club or was, yeah. I mean, dare I say was past tense, but right. <laughs> Bill, Bill Shankly wouldn't have any of this. You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and I think it's, you know, I think it's important to remember that because the teams that this hits the hardest are the teams obviously further down the pyramid because it really limits their mobility, but primarily the teams in the championship or on the lower end of the premier league, like those are the teams that this is going to hit the hardest because if I'm a newly promoted side in the premier league and my vote matters basically for nothing. I I have no say I have no place at the table. And one thing we didn't talk about was an imposition of a hard salary cap in the EFL. So I've just come up from the championship and I'm expected to compete with a bunch of teams that can spend as much money as they want. And I have to completely change my finances from the time I come up from the championship to the premier league and just shell out tons of cash and hope I can compete um, and immediately get blasted back down to the championship with potentially no parachute payments, like complete loss of all of the TV revenue, all that stuff. Um, The thing for teams to remember or fans to remember too, of these teams is that the current top flight of England contains a bunch of teams that did not start as football league members or mm-hmm. football, you know, the, the old division one, like members, like English first division, um, Liverpool was started in the second division of the football league. Like if, if there was a, you know, any sort of barrier to promotion or competition, like Everton would be, a massive club and Liverpool never would have had a chance to grow into what it is. Like they'd be Mm -hmm. stuck in the second division. Um, so all of that is just like a complete lack of, of understanding of the history. Like you mentioned Bill Shankly, like his first league title with Liverpool was a second division title. Like Mm -hmm. that was the era one of, you know, the beginning of one of Liverpool's most successful eras started, after a relegation like that, they were not, they're not perennially or they don't have a birthright to a place in the premier league and no club should, and no club does. Um, but this would make it all but impossible for those top six teams to ever be under threat of losing that position. And I think also we didn't touch on you related to that is that if these if this you know top six has this veto power, they can veto new owners, which 
<laughs> I mean, that is just blatant, like, you know, monopolization of your your power and your status in the league. If you, you know, you don't want Joe Schmo to come along with his billions of dollars and, you know, stick that into Bristol Rovers. I mean, <laughs> you know, that and they're like, no way, we don't want them threatening our, our hegemony. And that's just crap, you know? Yeah. We're, <laughs> I mean... And I, and I, I, you know, I'm no expert on European law, but I, I w- I'm probably going to look this up later. It's like, how is that not illegal as far as like trade is concerned? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like it, the a restraint on trade or something like I just, the whole thing is just opportunistic trash. And I, I hate it. I hate that the, this is what it's come to, you know, um, again, just a proposal and not anything that we need to like freak out about immediately, but it's, it's troubling. Cause they've been working. They they said the, uh, the proposal that came out today was version 18 of this document. So they've been working on this for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Well, Mika, I think, uh, we should take a, take a break so we can take a breath <laughs> um, and we'll come back and talk, uh, talk transfers and just kind of calm down from all this serious talk that's getting us all riled up and we can talk about something a little more fun. Uh, so hopefully you guys <laughs> will stick with us and we'll be back in a second. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Um, Mika, the transfer window slammed shut on the Mm -hmm. 5th. And uh, we have had some time to kind of digest some of these moves um, and kind of take a look at the whole window. Very strange window, uh, obviously going much deeper into the autumn than it normally does. Um, But I thought we would tackle this from kind of a, a, a quick hit and miss perspective. So we're going to talk about the hits and misses of the transfer window. And I want to start off Mika by talking about just straight up the hit, your favorite transfer of the window. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm biased. I, my favorite is (laughs) Thomas Partey to Arsenal for, for a number of reasons. Um, Yeah. So Thomas Partey joins Arsenal for a fee of 45 million pounds. That was his, release clause that Arsenal activated on deadline day, which, um, you know, people listening to this might know that when you pay a release clause in La Liga, you have to pay the entire amount up front um, to La Liga. And then they forward that, that cash onto the club and the release from the contract. So I, I like this move for several reasons. One, the fact that we did that on deadline day and I mean, honestly, kind of screwed Atleti because they didn't want to come to the negotiation table. So I like that we are showing a little bit of ruthlessness. That's number one. Number two, Stan, apparently the Cronkies put in some of their own money for this move, which is significant because they've never, ever, ever done that in their, in their years of owning the club. Um, so it shows me that the ownership believe in Mikel Arteta and and what he's trying to do here by backing him, um, you know, with the funds for, for a player that he wanted specifically, they'd been watching Thomas Partey for a long time. So 
that's number two. Number three, just from a footballing perspective, we need a mobile midfielder. Um, you know, Hussein Mawa didn't work out, but I think Thomas Partey, you know, he's, he's 27 years old. He's in his prime. He can play pretty much in any setup that you have in midfield, whether that's a two or a three, you can even play right back. That's the first time I ever watched him play. He was playing right back and he was really good. Um, so I think he gives us a lot of, of quality in the middle of the pitch, uh, mobility, um, and just I think he's more ready-made for the Premier League than maybe a Hussein Malwa would have been. So um, as the days have gone by since the transfer, I'm really like warming to this, and and I can see that he he is a good a good get for us. So yeah, that that that's my favorite one. I uh, I really love. Well, I mean, Partey absolutely played out of his mind uh, against Liverpool in the Champions League. Um, especially in that, in that return leg at Anfield. Like I do not think that they survive (laughs) that, that match without Partey, like breaking things up in the middle and doing like a ton of work defensively. But that match in particular was not obviously the highlight of everything that he can do because he can, but I think Arsenal having a guy who is willing to like graft and, but also has the quality going forward. Cause I think you guys have had a midfield of grafters and yeah. not necessarily someone who can do that and then transition the ball forward. So Partey is, is certainly just a, a huge kind of paradigm shift, I think um, in Arsenal's midfield and um, just a high quality player. Um, I think it wasn't, as obvious of a like slam dunk kind of fit long-term like our, but, um, but like you said, he's in his prime and he certainly like has loads to offer in terms of adding something immediately to Arsenal's midfield. So um, yeah, I think that's a great shout uh, for the favorite and I would be tempted to go for mine as a hit uh, with Tiago, <laughs> but I will, I, for the sake of variety, I will, I will switch it up just a little bit. Um, and I'll talk about, I talked about it a little bit last episode, but I will talk about my old Brentford boy, Ollie Watkins going to Villa. And yep. part of the reason that I would love this transfer is one, I think premier league teams have been very wary of championship strikers for quite a while. I I think a lot of times people have a hard time making that transition from the championship into the premier league. I think the last player to do it genuinely well was Jamie Vardy, (laughs) like to do it at an elite level. Um, And Ollie Watkins gives me kind of like young Vardy vibes in a couple of different ways. The first being the fact that, just as recently as 2015, he was on loan at Weston Supermare FC AFC from Exeter City. Um, he was actually loaned out by Exeter, um, and he just moved to Brentford in 2018 for 2.2 million from Exeter City. Um, so he's kind of had this little bit of a meteoric rise. Um, and yeah, like amazing season in the championship last year with Brentford. Obviously, they were a little bit unlucky not to get promoted. And I think that contributes to him actually departing, because I think if they're in the Premier League, they do whatever they, they can to hold on to him. 
Um, and maybe the price tag would be a lot higher if they were in the same division as Villa, but, um, he has that kind of killer instinct that I think a lot of teams who like Villa were trying to consolidate and, and kind of more safely avoid relegation this season. I think they added a few, a few good pieces, but I think having someone up top who is just kind of lethal, um, and takes, their chances at at a high percentage. I think that's so key to Villa staying up comfortably. And maybe, I mean, with the quality that they showed, obviously in the Liverpool game, but I mean, early this season, I think at worst, they're looking at a comfortable mid table finish this year. Um, given how Should some do. of the other teams have kind of stumbled, stumbled out of the gates. Um, and I think Ollie Watkins can be a huge part of that. That's a great shout. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but I think it was at Brentford that he actually became a striker. I don't think he always was one. I think he was more of like an attacking midfielder. So it's even more amazing to, sh- to see him leading the line for a Premier League club in, in such a short time from, you know, when he was at Exeter. So yeah, crazy. That's, that's a good shot. I like that one. Um, the next is the miss your least favorite transfer of the window. And I left this pretty wide open because it could be least favorite in terms of like, you think it's a bad fit or least favorite in terms of like, you just hate that this was something that happened. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I I have one that, yeah, my least favorite transfer is Kai Havertz to Chelsea. Um, (laughs) I know we have some Chelsea fans that that we're friends with that might that might listen to this, and I promise I'm not just trying to hate. Like I don't, I think it's not a miss at all. Like I think this is a fantastic buy for them. I think I don't like it for Kai Havertz. I don't like the fit at Chelsea stylistically. Um, I I just he's a generational talent that requires nurturing. I think and and by all means I think he's ready to play pr- play in the Premier League. But I just I don't trust Frank Lampard to get the most out of him. And I have seen nothing so far to change my mind on that. I mean, people are saying that he's a flop because of the way Frank Lampard is using <laughs> him. I mean, he keeps playing him wide, like on the right, which like he's played wide before, but not on the right. So it's like, do you know? the player that you have on your hands. I mean, he is, he he's world-class. Like he's going to be world-class. He's going to be one of the best players in the world, but I just, I, I worry about him at Chelsea, honestly. Um, and I, and I worry that I, I worry that like, honestly, like people like Mason Mount might get more minutes than him in, in some, in some games. And that to me is like insane. Um, so yeah, just, I don't like the fit of like the club and the coach. I think that, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying like Arsenal or someone would have liked them better with it. It's just like Chelsea for me. I just didn't, I don't like that. I think Timo Werner is, is a great fit at Chelsea. I think that, you know, being a pacey striker, like that's fine. But uh, Havertz is a special talent. And I just, yeah, I'm not, not too big on that one. I think it's funny because you brought up Mason Mount at the end. And I think that's what puts me off so much about this transfer is the fact that we're having a conversation of, Havertz versus Mount in terms of like playing the same roles or mm. competing for minutes when Which they're like nuts. fundamentally different levels and different players. Like Mount doesn't play like he doesn't offer what what Havertz does. Um 
And it just blows my mind that we're talking about like, oh, is Mason Mount going to start over Kai Roberts? And it's just like, this is not a conversation that should be happening because they don't occupy the same areas of the field, like, or shouldn't. At least they shouldn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so That's yeah, my, that, I, yeah. that is one that I also hate. Um, I went a different <laughs> route. I wasn't, not necessarily because I thought you would pick Havertz, but um, this one for me, the miss for me is uh, just because, so you talked about Arsenal kind of like screwing over at Letty um, mm. with that late transfer deadline day uh, bid that triggered his, his release clause and everything. The one that the biggest screw over is my least favorite. And okay. it was Juve with a deadline day swoop for Federico Chiesa from Fiorentina. Oh yes. That That's a good one, one that one pissed me off because <laughs> it's it's big it's it's the same energy that Barca brought to the Martin Braithwaite transfer. Um, oh my god, yeah. It's they except with like an actually really good player, which right. is like arguably worse. Yeah. They were like what is the one really functional part of Fiorentina's team? And no disrespect to Frank Ribery because he's been brilliant. But Federico Chiesa is like a brilliant player. Um, one of the real bright spots about Fiorentina's team and a big reason why they've been able to remain in Serie A in recent yeah. years. And Juve go, come from on the on deadline day. He's 22. And I just feel I'm and I could be proved wrong. Like Pirlo might put him straight into the team. Douglas Costa has departed on loan for for Bayern. So there's room in in theory on the wing. Um, mm. But I don't know that Chiesa goes straight into Juve's team. And that really disappoints me because if he was leaving for a legitimate, you know, where they have a, a spot and it's kind of clear cut that, yeah, this guy is going to be a game changer for us, then I wouldn't really hold it against him. But my worry now is that Fiorentina may like literally go down um, because they've had one of their like brightest talents picked uh, by the team who's won the last nine scudettos so that's um that for me was my least favorite yeah and and the structure of the deal too is is really bothersome for me because it's i believe it's a two-year loan deal um so it's like three million euros for the first year seven million euros for the second year and then a conditional obligation to buy for 40 million plus 10 million in variables so it's like yeah you have locked in this price that with how good Kiz is, he might far exceed that. And that is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, at 22, like he could be, I mean, by the time his loan is over and he's about to be bought, he could be 24 and legitimately like reaching his prime years where he could easily go for double what they're, what they're paying. Right. And they could pay at most like 50 million euros. Like that's, trash so yeah uh, that's a good one. Oh yeah i hate juventus so much <laughs> juve is is the worst for for shit like that but um other teams are now the subject of our of our well praise or wrath um so we'll start with the hit uh the best team window 
of uh, of this transfer business that we've seen. Yeah, I think on paper it's Chelsea because they sure. spent like out the ass. Um, but actually, I am going to go for Aston Villa. I thought Aston Villa had a fantastic window. Um, you know, they brought in Emmy Martinez. They brought in Ollie Watkins, like you just said, Matty Cash at right back mm-hmm. from uh, Nottingham Forest, I think it was. Yep. Uh, and he he's fantastic, and he's like England's like seventh best right back. So it's like yeah. it's pretty um, it's pretty interesting there. And then Bertrand Traore, he's a good player. Yeah. And then Ross Barkley on loan, which again, like I I, uh, I like we spoke about last time. I've never really rated him, but like at Aston Villa, he looks like perfectly at home and perfectly serviceable. Um, I thought he was great against Liverpool and uh, yeah. And then of course, you know, Jack Grealish re-signing on a long-term deal to either, you know, commit his future to the club or at least protect his value so that Aston Villa can get what they, what they deserve out of that. Should he move on? So I I thought Aston Villa had a, a really good window and I agree with you, Phil. I think they should be able to stay up comfortably, if not make, you know, a mid table finish. Yeah. I think, I think Villa is among the best for sure in the premier league. If, if not, if not the best, they certainly, I think made, they probably made more moves. Them and Newcastle are probably the two most active teams in the league um, in terms of just total transfer numbers. Um, So they're certainly, they're certainly in the conversation. Um, and the, I think, I think it's tough. Um, when so many teams, there was kind of this small group of teams that were just splashing a bunch of money, um, for, for all kinds of (laughs) random players all over the place. Um, but I think, when you're looking at like best window, I think right now there's been a little bit of an emphasis of like quality over quantity, I guess, as we spoke about with Chelsea's maybe the most money for sure thrown around, but like, are they getting the most bang for their buck? I think city are also in that conversation where it's like, yeah, they bought a bunch of people, but is it having a tangible impact? Mm. Um, on the squad. And I think, uh, I think in terms of just pure business, I have to go with Byron for the best window, um, partially and very heavily weighted by the ability to legitimately steal Leroy Sané for less than 50 million um, when his value is easily like approaching, you know, 90, a hundred million, like maybe his injury problems are the only, um, like downside, I guess. Uh, but they, they also just make like a few They're They're bringing in like a bunch of free signings and loanies. And I won't mention Chupamotang cause I really don't love that signing that much. Um, <laughs> But I think they get like markedly better with Sane um, as as a winger, and then they uh, bringing Douglas Costa back in on loan, despite the fact that it's not he's not the most explosive player anymore. He's thirty years old. He is still a potential game changer for them. I think late on, um, especially with 
in those games where Serge Gnabry is having like a little bit of an off game or something like that, you have kind of a ready-made sub um, for, for Serge. So I think that's, that's an interesting one. And then Mark Roca from Espanol is also a low key good signing for less than 10 million euros. So um, I think they have some and Bumasar as well, like from Marseille, that was a couple of, more under the radar kind of signings for Bayern, but they made some low key good moves. Um, and I, I really, uh, I don't know. I think it's, um, just something that, uh, you know, they did splash the cash a little bit for Sané, but overall they just did some really interesting business for me. You know, that's, that's interesting. I don't, I feel like, as a rule, I can't consider Byron as having had like one of the best windows personally, because they let Thiago Alcantara go for like <laughs> a joke fee in my opinion. So, um, fair enough, you know, give it, you know, selling Thiago for 27 million pounds. That's he's yeah. one of the best midfielders in the world. So that's why I, I didn't go with Byron. Cause I'm like that, that's sure. a big ding against them, I think, but the, the business in was good, but yeah, the, the cut rate for, for Tiago was crazy. <laughs> I think maybe that's, that's just the, the power of Michael Edwards. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. And maybe I'm cutting them slack because they sold to Liverpool. So I'm automatically <laughs> like more, uh, that's what that more is. warm to it. Now um, it comes out. Yeah. So the, so the next piece though, is the miss who had the worst window in your opinion of any team. So we are going to venture over to Spain for my shout for this one. I thought Valencia had the worst window in that they did not buy anyone. <laughs> um, no players in. And uh, they asked it strip the club this summer. Ferran Torres, of course, went to Manchester City for 24.5 million pounds. Francis Coquelin and... Um, club legend Danny Parejo go to Villarreal Parejo for free <laughs> that for free that's criminal um which yeah uh one of the best midfielders in Spain I'm comfortable saying that and they let him go for free which just tells you how fraught that relationship must have been at that point for that to happen they sell Rodrigo to Leeds United for 30 million pounds which actually I don't know I mean he is Spain's number nine so there's something to say about that but I don't I don't know if the fit at Leeds is as, as obvious as some people are saying, um, but of course we'll see. Um, and, and yeah, so I think Valencia had a shocker. Uh, I mean, obviously their net spend looks pretty good, but, uh, and, and I've spoken with some Valencia fans who suggest that it's, you know, a youth movement and they're trying to really focus on the Academy and that's all fine and well, but I mean, to not bring in anyone is, is pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I think it, you know, the only reason I'm not saying Real Madrid here, having not brought in anyone as well, is because they're Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they have, you know, they have talent to boot and, and plenty of players that have come back on loan or, you know, I don't I don't worry about Real Madrid the way I do at Valencia. So they're my shout for worst team window. It's Sorry, funny. Los Che. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because there were a couple of teams that were in contention for this. Um, and I thought about going with one of the Manchester clubs, but a couple of the pieces of business that they do, I think get them out of the worst pile. I think they are maybe the Manchester clubs are the biggest, like the biggest difference between expectations and reality, but not yeah. the worst. Um, 
because I, I think I think United's late business like actually makes a lot of sense. I don't know that Cavani is the greatest signing of all time. Um, it actually, I don't know if I even really get it because to me, it's like <laughs> it's like a slightly. This is not a knock on Edinson Cavani, but at this stage in his career, it's essentially like a better, a slightly better version of the Cavani signing or of the, uh, wow, I just repeated myself, of the Igalo <laughs> signing, where it's like, hmm. yes, he's good, but has he been doing anything, like, consistently recently? Eh, like, not really. Um, but the Alex Tellish signing is really good, and I love I love Alex Tellish as a player. Um, I wanted him at Liverpool f- from the time that he was at Porto, like, years ago. Um or from the time he was at Grêmio, uh, like when he yeah. was like 18, um, he was a, he was a beast. So I, I actually really like him as a player, but I am going to take a shot at a super club um, for Ooh. their window. And it's PSG because okay. and here's the rationale. One, they bring in a Cardi on a permanent deal when he had the loan. It didn't particularly go all that well, um, but $55 million later, he is now a PSG player full-time. And then the only other permanent like paid transfer was Sergio Rico, which is okay, but I, I don't know that anyone was looking at PSG and like, hey, when are you going to buy a goalkeeper? Um, and... The next, the really the the issue I have aside from that is they haven't gotten markedly better in any way. Um, the the like Florenzi move is odd to me. Um, the uh, Rafinha as well, like brought it. That was really strange. And then Moisey Keane on loan from Everton. It's just, it's all just weird. Like, I don't know what Tuchel is thinking in terms of his sporting strategy. Like it seems to me like they, they had this obligation to buy a Cardi and just were like, we're out of money now. So they, <laughs> they were trying to piece together like additions the rest of the time. So they have a couple of loans, Pereira from Porto, Florenzi, um, and then a couple of free transfers with Rafinha, Um, and then, you know, a, a like third division keeper. Um, so it's all just really odd. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that I understand like what the thinking is, um, behind these moves. I, I just really, I don't know. I don't really get it. Yeah, I, yeah, that's fair. It, looking at the players in, it doesn't look like a team that's trying to like win the champions league this season. (laughs) I mean, Again, I mean, it is probably the weirdest transfer window ever because of the pandemic. And maybe they've got thoughts about strengthening in January, although January is a terrible window as well. So, yeah, that's a good shout. I don't know. I I like Danilo Pereira. I rate rate him. Um, But the other moves, like, I'm not sure what Florenzi's doing there. Like, I don't know what happened at Roma. I always thought he would become, like, a Tati-esque player and just play for Rome forever. But sure. 
Yeah, and then when you're taking players on loan from Everton, like, bruh. (laughs) (laughs) And they're they're signing, meanwhile, they're signing James Rodriguez, like. Right, like, (laughs) that should be a PSG signing, like, what the hell? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I just don't see, and it could be brilliant, I don't know. And they are obviously still a very talented team, so it's not, I'm not knocking, like, the current squad. Um, I don't know that it needed a ton of upgrades, but they they certainly like, I mean, they, they needed something. Um, and I don't know if they added it like that's, I guess, you know, time will tell. Um, but a Cardi yeah. to me is not the answer, um, to like their woes. Um, and I say woes very loosely, obviously as fr- you know, French champions and European finalists, but, um, <laughs> but I don't know that it fixes, you know, what Tuchel is looking to get out of the squad, but um yeah it's a weird one yeah so the next the next is the hit the weirdest transfer that works in your mind um one of those out there moves that uh Mm. is a vibe (laughs) oh this one's a vibe um (laughs) weston mckinney to juventus yeah that one's weird as hell but at the same (laughs) time like when i think about i'm like well no it's not so this is a vibe. It's on loan with, I think, an obligation to buy from Schalke. Yeah. Um, Juve, I think, in recent seasons have really been trying to expand their brand um, and go, you know, change from this, like, utilitarian, like, team that um, under Max Allegri that, you know, it wasn't about the football. It was just about the results. And, and now they're, you know, they tried with Maurizio Sarri to become a more attractive side. They signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Now they've got club legend Andrea Pirlo, you know, in the dugout for them. And it, to me, it just seems like Juve are really trying to build their brand. And I think um, what better way to do that, especially in the West, than to buy, you know, the United States men's national teams, you know, arguably one of their most promising players and most promising midfielders. Um, and I think under the tutelage of Andrea Pirlo, like he, he can only get better you know, um, and, and training next to Cristiano Ronaldo must be amazing for his development as well. So, um, and he, and he's already seen the pitch. I mean, like he's, he's in contention in Pirlo's side. So, um, yeah, I think this is a weird one, but I think it it actually makes a lot of sense as I thought about it a bit more and I'm, I'm excited to see what he'll do, even though I, I mean, I'm not Juventus' biggest fan, but I, I always want to see the, uh, the American boys do well. So, and it's just fun. Like Americans in Serie A, like that's not like uh, the huge. So it's right. a cool one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was, I was going to say, like, it's, it is crazy purely from the perspective that Week in and week out for Juve, Andrea Pirlo, who is now the Juve manager, which is weird enough, um, is selecting Weston McKinney as a starter for Juve. Like that crazy blows my mind. Like every time that I see him on the team, she is just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, this this dude who was like, yeah, we kind of mercurial talent, I guess, at Schalke. Like we're like, yeah, he looks good, looks the part, but you know, what is he really capable of? And now he, one of the best midfielders ever to play in Europe is like, he's one of my three, like each, each week. That's crazy. I know. It's nuts. Um, the weird one, gosh. Okay. So let me start off by saying there's so many weird transfers this year. Like there's a lot of odd moves. 
Um, the one that, that kind of sticks out, um, uh, to me as being just kind of out there, but I think works for player and club is Sessignon on loan to Hoffenheim. So Ryan okay. Sessignon has departed Spurs, this hell that he's been in um, <laughs> ever since he left Fulham. He was one of the most promising players like in England, um, was just absolutely tearing it up in the championship. He was linked with you know, big clubs across England um, that Fulham get promoted. And then he gets his move to Spurs and just never plays like ever. Um, yeah. And so I love this, this kind of trend. And I think we're seeing it more so now, even without the lack of playing time, we're see we're seeing English players go abroad more often. Um, and particularly to Germany. So Sessignon to Hoffenheim is really great for a number of reasons, but I love the idea of him getting to play as a wing back again, like an attacking wing back and not just, Oh, are you a winger? Are you a fullback for Sebastian Hennis? Like he gets to be both. So I think unleashing Sessignon and like potentially giving him some confidence back, reminding him also that he's only 20. Um, yeah. And can certainly like have a really long career ahead of him. I think just getting out from underneath Mourinho <laughs> is important in his development. Um, and I, I'm not like super hyped about a Spurs player getting really good or anything like that. But I just love this idea that the Bundesliga is now a destination for young English players who are see, your young players in general um, to get a shot at playing in a legitimate league that will challenge them. And, and hopefully in Sessignon's case, kind of give him, the impetus to, to go on. And I mean, I don't know. I kind of have that feeling of not to rub salt in the wound of Gnabry, but I kind of wish that this move became permanent in some way, or if he got a move to a different club, almost like De Bruyne where like he went on loan to Bremen, but then was bought by Wolfsburg. Like that. Yeah. I, so I like the idea of Sessignon maybe like showcase it. Like if he shows out in the Bundesliga, he gets a move to the Bundesliga permanently um, because I think this like back five or back three, you know, with wingbacks um, sort of style um, is very in vogue at the moment and a player like him could really tear it up. So that's my, absolutely. that's my uh my thought for a weird one that works. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, honorable mention to Mario Goethe going to PSV. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, PSV though. Like they're doing like bits. Like they got Ibrahim Samgare, who is like a promising French midfielder. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. Maybe they um, had the best window. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we're all we're like so top five league heavy that we just like completely <laughs> did not think of PSV. Um, I like that shout though, the Ryan Sessignon shout. Um, because yeah, coming out of Fulham, like he was supposed to be the next big thing, and like you said, he is only twenty years old. But um, and Hoffenheim's a good landing spot too because we loaned Reese Nelson to Hoffenheim, and he had a great loan spell. Yeah. for them. So, you know, they will use those players that they have on loan and um 
I think he will probably start because I think Robert Sko starts in that position, but he's not really a a wing back. I think Hoffenheim want to move Robert Sko a bit forward, so Session hopefully takes that wing back spot pretty immediately. So right. So yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one for for um, you know England as well. I mean, he's, yeah, I'm sure he's got England um, in his destiny. So the yeah, gosh, I'm like. I had to look up PSV's window now. <laughs> I think the only the only thing that is, you know, in terms of they they do um they they lose Sam Lammers, which is like the big knock, I guess, in terms of oh. because he went to At- Atalanta because he's a goal scorer and that's who plays for Atalanta. You must be able to score goals. So um right. but I said Sangare was French, he's Ivorian, my bad. Oh yeah. But coming from Toulouse, and then uh, Philip Max from Augsburg is actually a really good signing too. And he's not. I like- thought he would end up at Liverpool. Like I always <laughs> thought he was like the obvious Liverpool like backup left back. But yeah. I was obviously wrong. Well, Costas Samikas uh, is <laughs> has that uh, honor now. But yeah. Philip Max and then Mario Goetze just casually uh, coming in on a free to to PSV. Uh, I think I think he's going to have just an unreal season. I hope so because he's he's a good player that has just been unlucky. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah so twenty eight. That's, that's a good shout. Yo, the Dutch league is on ESPN Plus, is it not? It is. It is. Maybe we need to add a little bit of maybe some of the Darbies will add to our uh, viewing calendar. <laughs> we'll have to. Yeah, I do uh, like PSV. I have friends that live in Eindhoven and I've been to the stadium and it. Yeah, they're a cool club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll finish off the talk of transfers with with the last miss. The weirdest transfer for you that is not does not work. Doesn't work for you. Okay. So I'm not with this one. I'm not saying that it won't work. It's just like, it has a big backfire potential, I think. (laughs) Um, and that's Fabio Silva to wolves for 35 million pounds. Um, again, I'm not saying it won't work. The kid is 18 years old, but he only had three goals and 12 appearances for Porto. Like he didn't even really like develop much at i mean at in the first team for porto he was apparently he was very like amazing at at u19 level playing against older uh players and scored like 40 goals or something crazy like that but i mean when we're talking about u19 level and the premier league like (laughs) that's a big you know succeeding in the premier league is a different proposition entirely so Wolves are well-run clubs, so that's why I'm again why I'm saying like this is not necessarily me saying it won't work because they obviously see something in this kid that they can, you know, bring out his potential. But at the same time, I think he's also a George Mendes client, is he not? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one that has backfire potential, but we'll we'll see. Sorry, Christian, if you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No. And I think, I think that's, you know, with any of these, it's, it's kind of, this is more of like one of those like buyer beware type moves where it's like, you know, are you getting the, the player that, that you think, or is it a good fit? Or, you know, there's a lot of factors that can go into a transfer ending up not being not, you know, not being fruitful, um, I guess in a lot of ways. Um, but the, 
the one that strikes me, well, really it's like a combo of two moves by this particular club. And I, I can't really go maybe a whole episode without attacking them in some way, but <laughs> it's the joint, it's the joint signing of Ruben Diaz and Nathan Ake for Manchester city. It's okay. kind of, kind of both because I don't think they're weird on their own. Like city needed depth at center back and they went and got reinforcements but the signing of those two particular players are is very weird um, and doesn't necessarily to me. I, I'm not thinking like that could be a partnership, right? Like they almost to me seem like he bought both of them just in case the other one is a bust. Like, <laughs> like that was he almost bought Diaz as like an insurance policy on Ake. Like that, that was how I, that was how I felt. And I don't think it's fair to either player. um, But I just, I get this feeling that Pep is kind of like hedging his bets rather than making the transfer because, you know, I think we've seen like across the premier league, like we've seen these, these moves for, Hey, like I'm going to go get this defender. Um, And we've seen it work for at varying levels. Um, you know, Liverpool obviously go get Van Dyke, and that was quite successful to start. Um, you know, kind of right off the bat. Um, but here, like City have shown this penchant for spending a lot of money on center backs, and they haven't worked um hardly mm. ever. So these struck me as weird because I feel like if you buy one of them, it makes total sense. But buying Diaz after you've already bought Ake for almost fifty million, it's just weird, and that's that's my. So I guess the Diaz transfer is weirder to me than the Ake transfer, um, but it's more about the timing than the than the actual business itself. So, I mean, yeah, I think that I think it's funny that like clubs can continue to extort City for like prices <laughs> on these defenders. Uh, I think Ruben Diaz is going to be a good for them. And in fact, I thought of what I have seen of him so far, he looked pretty good. He looks physically ready for the premier league. Um, and, and city swear that this is a player that is, was their first choice. And it wasn't just like a shit. We didn't get Koulibaly. Like, let's get him. Right. Um, but I guess my thought was that Ake was going to be, uh, backup for Laporte and the, the partnership would be actually Laporte Diaz. Right. Um, which makes more sense. Um, sure. Because I think Ake is left footed and so is Laporte. And there, I would never play Ake over Laporte. Laporte is, right. well, when he's healthy, one of the best defenders in the world, for me at least. Right. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think it, it did give me panic by vibes and, and we'll see if it works out. But if it doesn't, they can just spend the GDP of, you know, Barbados <laughs> again on uh, on someone else. So, yeah, um, the the other the other one that was that was kind of up there for me was was Arter to Juve um, just because I'm like, why do you keep buying like midfielders um i think pianich to barca is worse like yeah. <laughs> that does not solve the like this squad is old problem like <laughs> it doesn't it also doesn't help that like the word panic is literally in his name like 
<laughs> oh shit. Like at some point you have to take the the pure phonics into account. Um but yeah, I I think there were a lot of weird I think there were tons of weird transfers. Um and the other one that uh, this is almost going back and I don't mean to crap on Chelsea anymore, but Ziyech to Chelsea is another one that is not weird um, in the sense that I think he's a brilliant player, but I'm worried uh, in the same way that you're worried about Havertz. I'm worried that Ziyech is literally getting like marginalized in this team um, because he just <laughs> hasn't, played really yet like he's come off the bench I think a couple of times um and that's not I don't know like he's a absolutely brilliant player um and you know Ajax didn't didn't die for this like for him to sit (laughs) on the bench like this is not this is not it yeah I mean it'll just be interesting to see how how Lampard fits all these pieces and makes it work. Cause I mean, you can buy a bunch of talents, but if they're not jelly on the pitch, then you've got, you know, you you're in trouble. Um, I do. Can I get another shout for like a good transfer, like a low key, good one? Sure. I really liked Mohamed Salisu to Southampton. Yeah. For, it was for a very reasonable fee, something like 10 million pounds. I think, uh, he is a Senegalese, I think, uh, center back or no Ghanaian, sorry, Ghanaian center back. Um, he came from Real Valladolid. Mm-hmm. He's left footed. He's six, three, he's 21 and Southampton have a history of, of developing good center back. So I fully expect him to be at Anfield in five years, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I watched him a bit at real Valladolid and he was very impressive, a little bit raw, but I think, uh, I think Southampton can, can really mold him into a good little player. And um, uh, yeah, I, I like that. I like that uh, move a lot. I think Southampton do decent business. So yeah. No, that's a really that's a really good shout, and I I do enjoy uh, uh you know looking and seeing how you know how wrong we are at some point <laughs> like in, in the fu- <laughs> in the future. Um, yeah. Who knows how these will actually turn out, and we could look like clowns later. But uh, but that's the fun of transfer business, anyways. Is th- it's all. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of the behind the scenes and the thought behind these moves. And so it's interesting. Um, and in light of the, uh, another athletic article, just to bookend this, uh, apparently most of the business is done via WhatsApp anyways. So that's um, so crazy to me. (laughs) Like that's just so, so much of football is handled on WhatsApp. It feels, it seems like, like, so (laughs) FIFA FIFA 22 uh early early uh feature idea a companion app uh where for your phone where in career mode you have to have a WhatsApp conversation with an agent about <laughs> setting up a uh contract and agreeing personal terms before arranging the medical That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's another uh, shocking transfer that I didn't talk about was 
um, FIFA 21 to my PS4 for $60. That was a, we'll <laughs> see know. if that one yeah. works out. I think you maybe made a similar move, right? <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I'm already regretting it. I just have buyer's remorse. Um, I played kickoff and I was like, it's the same fucking game. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> y'all set me up like that. Was, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just applying the, the Joker makeup. Just, just, <laughs> Yeah. Put on a happy face. I guess that's all we can do at this point. Yes. So. Uh, so Mika, what do you say? We take a uh, quick break and then we'll come back and round this out with the sounds of the season playlist editions. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Well, Mika, we're approaching the end of the episode, um, but we've got our Sounds of the Season playlist, uh, the Spotify playlist, slowly growing to, I guess, four by four each week. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I guess first, I guess we can let everybody know if they don't know yet how to get there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a Spotify playlist. So if you just search Hardcore Football, it should come up. Um, as well as our podcast. So, um, but if you can't find it, it is linked on our Twitter and, and I think Phil, you'll probably link it to on the episode tweet. So yeah, yeah, just, you know, follow it and give it a listen. Let us know if you like it or if it sucks or, (laughs) you know, whatever. (laughs) I like it. I listen to it and I always listen to Phil's editions because oftentimes I haven't heard the songs that he adds. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's on our Twitter. If you want to take a look at that. Yeah. It's, no, it's been really cool. And the shuffle of it is just like a nice little, nice little surprise gift bag each time, <laughs> um, when there are new additions, especially, um, and a couple of songs of yours, I either hadn't heard or hadn't heard in a long time. Alexis uh-huh. on fire is like, that was one where I was just like, Oh my God, I have not listened to this in the longest. Uh, so that was a good <laughs> little trip down memory lane. Um, but where, where are we going on this one, Mika? What have you got for us? All right. So my first choice for this week is a song called, uh, the abstract of a planet in resolve by Adola. So this is, um, for fans of, you know, prog rock, math rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Swan core. Like if you like <laughs> dance, Gavin dance, you probably will like Adola. Yeah. Um, I love this song, beautiful vocals and the lyrics are about, you know, excess and like how human beings suck. And I think it reminded me a lot about um, this uh, project, big picture conversation. Yeah. So I decided to throw that one in there. Um, and my second one is a little more cheerful. It's uh, is this really happening by I am the avalanche. And that's just kind of, it's a happy go lucky song. Like it's, it's kind of how I felt about Thomas Partey on deadline day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, those, those are my two, two very different, uh, genres in the in the uh rock umbrella i guess but uh yeah my two for the for the week on those yeah i uh (laughs) i love i love that we both because i also went with our conversations um (laughs) as the uh inspiration for my selections um so the first one is a song called citadel by the band veil of maya um and it is 
a really cool song in that it's very dynamic, I guess. Um, a lot of like softer parts and a lot of heavier parts. So it kind of go kind of runs the spectrum. Um, and Vale of Maya based in Chicago, but it's a song about like consolidation of power at the top and sort you know, that sort of <laughs> thing. And Citadel, like that's the, that's the vibe. Um, and then my second, my second choice is from a band that like, for all intents and purposes, probably should have been on this list like immediately. Um, but the transfer talk got me thinking about a song called Wanderlust by the band Every Time I Die. Um, a Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo, you know, hardcore or post-hardcore group, you know, however you want to categorize them. Uh, most known for wild live shows um, and... Uh, <laughs> kind of a Southern vibe as weird as that is for a Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, uh, about as North as it gets in the States. But, (laughs) um, but the song wanderlust, like, uh, one kind of fits the theme of the transfer season with people moving, you know, all over Europe and around the world. Um, but also the ending of the song has probably one of my favorite, like, groovy sort of breakdowns um that just like if you don't like bang your head to this it it then it's just you know i don't know like i don't know what to tell you like something's wrong with you yeah it's just one of those that (laughs) like especially live it's just like groovy and it's just like it's just i don't know it's such a such a banger so i just absolutely love um that song and in particular, not to go on too long about this, but Keith Buckley, the uh, lead vocalist and uh, and and writer of all the lyrics of Every Time I Die is probably one of my favorite lyricists um, in that he's an extremely strong writer and there's a lot of like figurative language and stuff. So any fans of like literature would enjoy the lyrics to his to his songs. There's a lot of wordplay and stuff. So it's just uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. So uh, that's nice. the end of me waxing poetic about every time I die, but that song, uh, <laughs> definitely check it out and yeah, follow, you can actually follow the, the, um, playlist as well. Um, and if you follow it on Spotify, then each time that there's a song added, uh, it automatically will update, um, when you go to your playlists, um, in Spotify. So you can just listen to, um, the, you know, now slightly larger, playlist each time and you don't have to do anything. So, um, yeah, so if you I just follow click it. that follow, yeah. Yeah. I follow the playlist and it's, uh, 18 songs already at hour and three minutes. So it's a good little playlist. Now, by the end of the season, it'll be like <laughs> 10 hours of just yeah. madness. So <laughs> yeah. And you never know what you're going to get. So it's, it's pretty fun. Um, and, uh, you can also follow our podcast on Spotify, um, along with a host of other platforms, Apple and Google podcasts, most notably. Um, so go ahead and subscribe or follow on any of those platforms. And if the platform allows, you can always leave us a review. It helps us, uh, get a little bit of visibility. Um, as one last shout, please give some love to at fat do seven, AKA Mike Pendleton, uh, on social media, if you enjoy our, our new look, um, and follow our, uh, our Twitter at HXC football, um, for all the updates and, uh, discussion around any, any world news that's going on. Um, but 
aside from that guys, uh, it's been, it's been real and we'll see you next time.